0: Welcome to Product Ops People. Join me, Simon Hilton, as I talk with product leaders around the world about how Product Ops is growing and uniting product-led companies. In this episode, we speak with Gabby Peralta, Product Operations Manager at Tillium, to talk about failing forward in Product Ops. Gabby and I discuss how some Product Ops managers can feel the pressure to get everything right the first time. But instead, it might be more helpful to adopt a more experimental and lean build, measure, learn approach to your services. And here we are. Welcome to Product Ops, people. My name is Simon Hilton, and today I'm joined by Gabby Peralta from Tealium. How are you, Gabby?
1: I'm doing well, Simon. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today.
0: I'm excited as well. I remember us having the a little bit of a chat about this podcast and when you, when you mentioned the topic for today of failing forward in product ops, I was really excited because it is a new space where a lot of learning is happening and I think that's really the mindset a lot of people have to have. But before we begin, why don't you just give us a quick background into who Gabby is and what you do at Telium?
1: Yeah. So I actually currently, I'm originally from California, just moved to Denver, Colorado. So really excited to be here. I joined Telium about six months ago. What Telium does is we're a trusted leader in the customer data industry. So what we do, the way that I like to think about it is if like you go to a Starbucks and you enter in your phone number and then they ask you for your birthday and all of a sudden we have all this information on you. We help our customers build Their customers' data profiles, and it helps with advertising and all that good stuff. So it's been really fun to join Telium. I joined Telium because of their product operations function. I'm no longer a team of one like I've historically been. So now I have a director and three teammates that I work alongside, which has been really awesome for me in in my product operations career.
0: That's great. And what does product operations really mean at Telium?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. We're definitely more established than some of the other places that I've been at. Telium's interesting because the product operations role almost doubles as a scrum master role. So I would say some of our days are focused on helping the engineering teams and acting as scrum masters, but then the other time is spent looking at product and engineering processes, improving those, removing processes needed. I'm a huge advocate of scaling back processes where possible because I think product operations can often be looked at as a process people, I think. But that's a story for another podcast. But doing the, yeah, more of the process side of the house and just making sure that our product team is enabled to move fast and with the right data.
0: Yes, makes sense. When you talk to other people about product ops, what advice do you get most of when people, when especially from your team, like How do you, what advice do people need to be effective in the role?
1: Yeah, I think, so the advice that I ask my team for, especially being at a new company is like, hey, how do we think the product team's going to react to this process? And just getting coaching around like the Personal, like the like, how our personality is going to react to this? Are there certain people that I can lean on to make sure this process runs smoother? Like, about f- helping me find those advocates. In terms of the question that I get asked about product operations most frequently is, what does it look like? What is my day to day? How do you stand up a product operations function? I think that question's so interesting because everywhere even though product operations has been around for a couple of years now, there's I would argue that there's still really no clear baseline. Like you have, I'm going to forget, Marty Kagan's version of product operations. And then I actually presented on Becky Flint from Dragon Boat, her version of product operations. And then like you can pull all of these different models and pick and choose and figure out what works for your organization. But that is the question I get asked the most. So I try to just share resources as much as I can.
0: I think that's an important part of establishing the identity because even the identity of product can be hard to share, get clear in an organization. So the identity of product ops must be even harder. How do product teams at T- Do you have that problem at, with product teams at Tealium? Do they understand the role of product ops?
1: Yeah, we're, I was fortunate to join the company at a point where product operations had already been around, so they understood it. My company beforehand, though, I was brand new. I was the first hire. I remember that first round of listening tours and even a couple of months into the job, like I was still explaining what I was there to do and what my value was going to be. It definitely helps to have a team when you're talking about value because you can bring a lot more to the table. But the way that I think about it is... What product operations is here to do is product manage the the product manager experience. I forget who has said that, but I know that's gone around our community quite a bit. So really what I like what I think product operations is looking to do is just make other people's lives easier and specifically that's the lives of the product team. There's actually a good chat going in the product led Alliance Slack channel about who product operations customers primarily are. and there is some debate around that too because it just it depends. is different.
0: Yeah, I think you're, that's really zeroing in on what we were talking about with this episode because I've seen those kinds of conversations as well. Are you aligned to the customer? Are you aligned to the product manager? And I think the point is that there's no one way, and we're still trying to figure like out the the best ways. Test and learn. So, how has how have you seen that evolve much over your career so far?
1: Yeah. Yes and no. I think that we've gotten more established like when you go to build out a product operations function now when you google it i feel like the same like three to four pillars will come up where it's like a cross-functional communication like improving internal communication with teams or maybe it's just communication on the product team or the, between product and engineering and then you have the process side of the house that we just talked about like improving processes getting rid of processes just like standing up like How does a product team function and what does that look like? The other one that I've seen, and this one's kind of hit or miss, and I'd be curious to see how much you've seen this, Simon, is the data side of the house. So if a product team releases a feature, the product operations team is in tracking how well that feature does and is giving all that data back to the PM. And then the PM's kind of deciding which route to go from there. I haven't worked at an organization who's, we've all wanted to do it. (laughs) We haven't set it up successfully. So I'd say that the data piece is another one. Yeah, so those are kind of the top three that are coming to mind right now, but you can find the common themes.
0: Yeah, that sounds very familiar. I wrote the Product Ops Pillars playbook and yeah, we the three that I saw that were all constantly coming up when I talked to the people in this community were creating cross-organizational alignment, aligning people with processes and tools and yep. making the right data easily available. So I think that data pillar yeah. is really important because at the end of the day, we're trying to focus and serve the product management team when they have to spend mm-hmm hours and days trying to pull data together just to make important decisions those things can be taken off their plate with good processes good tooling Mm -hmm. good playbooks all those kinds of things but let's get back to the focus of the episode because I I think you you mentioned that failure is a really important part of being able to grow and navigate through a very new space through a, a number of different disciplines how has that worked for you
1: Yeah, I love talking about failure, just even like for the human experience. You can't, you don't make it through life without failing at some point. And something that I've been more recently interested in is psychological safety at work. And there was actually someone else who spoke and I'm going to butcher that as well. I'll have to, we can link it maybe in the notes. But she had talked about psychological safety and is, do you feel safe enough to fail at work? And I think for product operations specifically, when I've come into an organization and I felt safe. So for example, I started my career out at Skyslope. And I started there as a customer success manager. So I had no real, what is the word? I, it's not that I didn't have real ties to the product organization, but my work didn't really typically touch theirs. And so as I started to transition into product operations manager, I was bridging the gap between product and customer success. And so when I finally made the transition to product, it wasn't like I'd already had those relationships and I'd already cultivated that feeling of trust. So where if I did fail or if I did make a mistake, it didn't feel like it was the end of the world. Versus when I joined a different company, I was fully remote, didn't have those personal relationships coming into the organization, was a brand new role. Where I found success was admitting, hey, I failed previously, and here's where I failed, and here's what I've learned from that, and that's how I'm going to improve while I'm here and for this product team. So really leaning into, I think my failures, and I speak about this like at every talk I've given, is I hope that the people leave learning from my mistakes and learning from my failures. So at the very least, like when I've had a hard day at my product operations job, I know that I can at least share this story with someone else in the field and they'll learn from me and hopefully not make that same mistake. But that doesn't mean I definitely have failures and sometimes those are hard to recover from, for sure.
0: Yeah, I think there was a whole bunch of good stuff that you just went into there. But I think the most important thing is just using the word learning. A lot of organizations, you probably won't even hear the word learning. You'll just hear success, failure. But you actually need to talk about it. You need to go. what did I learn today? What are we learning about this? And having that really a part of the culture and the vocabulary Mm -hmm. is important because learning can be, as you pointed out, learning can be taken from anything. And Mm -hmm. learning is like an active verb. You have to do the learning. You can't just have it appear on your plate. You've got to sit down and think about what was good, what was bad, what were our assumptions? Mm -hmm. How would we do it better next time? And having an organisation which kind of, that's a part of the culture is super important.
1: Yes, I would agree. I think one thing that I've enjoyed about Tilly, and with the product operations role almost being like a Scrum master role, is the retrospectives. So we do those for each of our Scrum teams, right? But our even our product operations team, at least at my previous one of my previous companies, Sauna Benefits, we had a process rolled out, and in this event, it went really. And so what we did was we scheduled what we called it a fireside chat for the product and engineering teams, and whoever wanted to come could come. And we would we basically did a live retro of what had happened, and our we talked about our mistakes and. how we could learn from that. And we talked about our successes and how we could continue to do those in the future. But that was like, that was the first time the company had ever done that. But I, the piece of it is like going into that company, they already had a great culture. They already had, they would fostered that psychological safety piece. And Telium has that as well. And so I do think as a product operations person, because we are so closely tied to several different teams and we work really closely with product managers and oftentimes like engineering leadership, we have the opportunity to cultivate that in our workplaces. And I think that the step in that direction is talking about your failures and how you've learned from them.
0: Yeah. yeah. One of the other conversations I see going up with the product community is how you actually get to the work, to your initiatives. And more often than not, most people I see talk about using product and design methods to, to, to really get there. And I think that's my, in my point of view, that's really the better way to do it because reframing the whole development of processes as a hypothesis Mm. using data from your customers seems to really lend itself better to a learning culture. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting, I love the almost thinking about it as, hey, this is a process. This is our hypothesis. This is what we think is going to work best. That's really an interesting thought.
0: Yeah. When we talk about, and this is where we've talked about in previous episodes, when you're going out there and building your... Product. I guess that at the root of that failure was I was wrong. I, I said let's do this process, let's build this, let's go use this tool, let implement this data strategy. Like I was wrong, but really what's happening before you even do that is going out and saying what are all the problems that that our product managers, our designers, our teams face, forming that backlog, prioritizing just like you would a product with what's gonna what's gonna help the most people, what's gonna have the most impact, and then coming to the team and saying, well, these are the highest impact, these are the greatest reach we think we should focus on building this out or we think we should clean up this thing. And that's going to have the biggest impact. Now that's a hypothesis right there. You're going to be saying, we think that we're going to help the team by doing these three or four things. Three of them are great. One of them fails, but from that failure, you can go, okay, so how would we roll that learning back into what we decide to work on next?
1: The examples that are coming to mind for me are like they feel so small in the scheme of things. And I've talked to a few folks in the pro, like in this field about how it's interesting because you know, something as small as getting all those right people in a Slack channel is improving a process or is improving something for the company. And while it's, it can be really easy to add four names into a Slack channel, and downplay the impact that product operations can have, like that stuff is still really important. So one of the failures that's coming to mind for me is I was asked to create like a customer feedback loop So we had, you can go online and customers can submit, okay, this feature is not working and actually can I request this feature instead? And so we had all this data on a website or in Zendesk really. And it was kind of just sitting there, not doing much of anything and going back to one of those pillars of like product operations, helping with the data side of the house and just arming product managers with the right data to make the best decisions. I set up this process to organize the data and it was (laughs) <laughs> we're a startup and oftentimes people ask me what tools I use, and I always go back to Google Sheets and Google Docs. So anyways, all this Zendesk data was inside this massive Google Sheet. I had spent probably hours like color coordinating it, creating filters, all of this good stuff. And so what it did was like for the DigiSign product line, here's the top four features. For the Forms product line, and this is all related to SkySlope, here's the top feature requests for this product line. We spent all this time doing it and saying, hey, here's the process. Product managers, you come in here, look at the data. That was all great. Product managers loved it. But at the end of the day, they just didn't use it. And I think part of that, like that failure there was like, I don't know that it's a failure because kind of like you're saying, Simon, like, If we can reshape that now the next time we go to make a customer feedback loop or just even like arming the product managers with data, how can we make it easier for them? Because I think the failure here was like this Google sheet was just way too much information. It was such a manual process to keep it up to date. You had to have basically one product operations resource dedicated to pulling that data out of Zendesk, putting it in the sheet, color coordinating, like all of this stuff. And then running the queries to make sure like you're pulling the top three features, whatever it might have been. And then it was like, how often do we do all of this? Um, And so like looking back, I think it was just too much process. There was too much going on. It wasn't easy for the PMs to access. So then the next time the team wanted to reevaluate that, like we knew that, hey, we can't go down this road because this didn't work and here's why. And that was good to talk about with the product team as well, because it was kind of like you said, we spent all this time interviewing our team's really understanding what the core problems are. And in, th- in this example, it was like, we don't really know what our customers want. Product operations has then given you, here's the top three requests. But then it's like, why, why aren't we using that? And why aren't we building that? And really just opening up that conversation, which in this example, I think really needed to, have, needed to happen.
0: Yeah, that sounds really great. And things that come to mind when you talk about that was, just, you've always got to find out what the opportunities are before you look at the solution. And even though you have a great opportunity, your solution might not hit the mark. As you pointed out, like you had a great opportunity, people needed this information, but the solution that you tried didn't hit the mark. In fact, it was too many steps or too big of a spreadsheet, et cetera. So you can actually go back and go, actually, okay, it needs to be simpler. So well, let's try again, find something simpler yeah. that's easier to use. Maybe some sort of drag and drop kind of data studio or something like that. Yeah. And it, it, you did validate with the product managers that, you know, yeah, this is a problem. So I think there was a lot of good elements there of, of building processes that people need as opposed to just handing, throwing it over the fence and and moving on to the next thing.
1: Yeah. And I think even in, even if you are in a situation where you feel like you're throwing stuff over the fence, eventually that pile gets pretty big on that side and someone has Mm -hmm. to talk about it. So I think even if the processes don't work, it still like forces a conversation to happen, which I think can be very beneficial.
0: Do you have any other examples that you'd like to share with us?
1: One of this is one I always go back to. I've talked about it a few times on uh, other like presentations and things is I was asked to create a bug board process <laughs> similar to kind of like the, the feature side of the house. Like here we have all this data, all these bugs, but no one's looking at this stuff. So I created this whole process. My failure here was the time zones. We had people working across five different time zones. I set up an on-call like rotation because we need, it was a health insurance company. So when people have problems, like it's, likely that they're not getting access to care that they really need so it was something that we had to have eyes on 24 hours a day but anyway so i set up this process and said okay people who are in california on pacific time i need you to be on call i believe it was like at 10 a.m central time or 9 a.m central time which was really what does that make it 6 a.m their time whatever it was the time i think the overlap was like they the people in california had to be up at 4 a.m to be on call and it Typically that's tough to wake up at four AM. I don't know about you. I normally roll out of bed around nine. But so anyways, it was real, this whole process, it was all great. I think perfect, wipe my hands clean of it. And then of course the teams, Hey, we have families, we have school drop off, like all these things I just hadn't thought of. And so that, I mean, that was, I was probably gosh, like two weeks into that role. And I was like, Ooh, that, that was almost embarrassing for me. Cause it was such a little thing, like a time zone. Who's not thinking about that? Who's not thinking about like their coworkers lives outside of work when rolling out. I think that's another, like, we can get into a different thing with this, but like, being remote, you do have to think about all of these things. So, what so that happened, was
0: like, what did you do next?
1: I just, I said, hey guys, that was, that's on me. I did not even think of the time zones. I think that's where the relationship piece comes in, but also the ownership piece of when they started. I think some of them were very upset, rightfully. And it was just acknowledging, hey, I totally understand that you're upset. If I had to wake up at 4 a.m. to be on call, I would be upset as well, especially for as frequently as we were asking them to do it. And just sitting the team down and saying, hey, this is I understand that this is a point of frustration, something that I did not think of, and here's what I'm going to do to fix it in the future. And this specific example, getting the team's collaboration and thoughts And allowing them to submit feedback on the process. What I took from that is the change management. So when you go to roll out a process, like doing it incrementally, getting buy-in as you build out the process, not just showing up and saying, hey, look what I've made. Now everybody step in line. It's, hey, this is what I'm thinking for the triage process. Here's a rotational schedule. (laughs) Sign up where you can thing.
0: I think that's really important and something that I've seen work very successfully is when you get your ideas down onto a page as soon as possible, share them with a small trusted group and get more information. And what I really loved it there also was, or you're actually coming back to what I was just saying, like you you get information onto a page, share it with a small group, then you're going to get more information and you add that information into your plan. You go, "Have have I missed this? Is it new? Is there a deal breaker here? Okay, great. And then you expand that circle a little bit more. And then you, depending on how, influential and how big and how mission critical this solution is. he's going to, have to keep on doing that more and more, more times. What I loved about what you just said though, is that there's going to come a point where someone says, Hey, here's a new critical piece of information, which you seem to have missed. And the mindset one needs to be on is not, Oh no, I screwed up. It's you can have that for about five minutes. Yes. I screwed up. But then it's <laughs> what you said was, Oh, thank you for that. I'm going to go fix, yep. make, I'm going to fix that now.
1: Yeah, uh, that was a big learning for me, big learning for me from that role and from that company. Because when you're building out a function, like it's a brand new function. I think I felt a lot of eyes on me, a lot of pressure to perform in the role. And I almost just moved way too fast trying to do these things. But where I was successful was from day one saying, hey, this is what I hope to do but I'm going to make mistakes. This is a new role, new function. And even just if you're not a team of one and it's not a new role, even like Telium now where I'm on a team of five and we've been around for a while, just I'm new to the company. I'm bound to fail. Even if I've been around for five years, people make mistakes and it's just building that rapport, but having that to fall back on of just knowing I'm not coming from a bad place when I'm doing these things. My The whole purpose of my role is to make your life easier. And it, Yeah. I think,
0: yeah, assuming good intent is always good in any sort yes. of organization, especially in, when you're not, don't have a lot of contact with those, those people. But I think one thing you're also putting out there is relationships and even having invested early in relationships helps a lot. If the only time someone's heard from you is when you're building this process, then you probably could do a bit more to, front load that and say, hey, let's, I'm interested in making your life better as you were talking about. And having those conversations early around, almost with everyone around the business, I would say, if you're in a product mm-hmm. operations role, go talk to your sales team lead, go talk to your customer success team lead and say, hey, by the way, I'm here, I work in product, I'm here to make product managers lives better and to serve you and make sure that you're getting what you needed. Let me know if there's mm-hmm. anything I can help with. That goes a yeah. long way to building the openness that, that we were just talking about because they know that you're just there to help.
1: Yep, definitely. That's another piece of advice I always give people is go on your listening tour, meet with everybody one on one. Product team is number one priority. But from there, like I said, like we've talked about is you're likely touching a lot of other areas of the business. And if the first time you're reaching out is saying, hey, customer success team, I have an entirely new process or another new way for you all to submit bugs, probably you might want to reflect on And where that went wrong or just how to approach it definitely the next time. Because if you have the relationship, then you would know how customer success wants to be approached and you would be thinking of those things. And again, like you said, having that smaller group of trusted people to roll or not to roll, but to put, what is the word I'm looking for?
0: Share. I'm gonna pause
1: here. <laughs> Yeah. To share your processes with, but yeah, just to kind of, here's where I'm coming from. This is the things I've thought of, but I know that I, I have not thought of everything. So can someone help me fill in the gaps?
0: Yeah, and often when you meet with those people, they're going to come back to you with initiatives and say, "Hey, yeah. I've been thinking about how we could work together on this. Great, how does that benefit my product managers? Well, in this way, great, let's work together on that." So it is a two-way flow of initiative, but you obviously serve the needs and represent the the time of product managers and the rest and product teams. Well, thank you for your time today. I've really appreciated it. Where can people find out more about you and Antelium?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn is my go-to. If you look up. Gabby Peralta or Gabriella, I think it might be on there. LinkedIn, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And then uh, the Product Led Alliance Slack channel. I like joining that group as well.
0: So people can message you in there and have a chat.
1: Yeah. Yep. LinkedIn's probably best though. I'm on there quite a bit more.
0: Awesome. Thank you for your time today and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Simon, for having me. I really appreciate it. This has been fun.
0: Okay. Bye.